Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to the Future of XYZ. Uh, so happy to be here today speaking about the future of data integration with Dr. Eric Daimler. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Good to be here. So um, you obviously have quite an esteemed background. Uh, I have to say, as a serial entrepreneur, uh, as a graduate of Carnegie Mellon University, where you got a PhD, I believe, in computer science, and you teach it there in computer science, but also Stanford University and University of Washington, Seattle. Besides the fact that you were a presidential innovation fellow in robotics and AI during the Obama administration, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. It's a good time. I bet it was. I mean, I think if we're talking about data integration, we'll talk about your current company, Connexus, and what you all are doing to really kind of change the shape of data in the, in the world. Um, let's just start out. What is data integration just to level set for our audience? Sure. It's really bringing data together, bringing data to bear for consideration of decisions, business decisions, public policy decisions, whatever sort of decisions. Mizuho Bank in Japan did one of those upgrades that we're all familiar with over a weekend uh, across their network. That was on a Saturday night. Come Sunday morning, their system didn't come back up as they intended. Monday morning, their system still didn't come up. So as consumers of, of Mizuho Bank, we wouldn't have had access to our bank accounts. We couldn't have sent or received wires for all of a Monday because of a data integration problem. It's these massive databases that just don't wanna talk to each other. This happens in every business, it happens in every government. This really explains the problem with data, uh, with healthcare.gov when it initially launched in the Obama administration. Mismatched data doesn't want to talk to each other. Data integration is the technology and the approach for bringing this data together so that it can make useful business decisions. It's interesting because one of the terms that as a marketer, you know, as a strategist, we often talk about is BI. So business intelligence, you know, once upon a time it was competitive analytics, you know, and it's this combination of internal and external data sources that you analyze, bring into dashboards, reports, whatever it is to help make business decisions and strategic planning really, you know, but as data has exploded, I mean, I think that's really what we're talking about in some ways here. You have different systems and different inputs and different languages, right? And so what you're talking about integration is how systems and, and I guess various sources can, can connect so that you don't have banks go offline for three days at a time. Yeah, and, you know, if you and I work with Excel and we have, uh, uh, maybe thousands of rows, maybe a couple of hundred columns, you know, we're good. But if you want to say integrate these two different databases, two different Excel spreadsheets, that'll take you a little bit of time. The problem with the data explosion, you know, big data is somewhat of an old term right now. No kidding, data is going growing exponentially. 90% of all data has been created in the last two years and that continues. 
what's little known is that the number of data sources is also growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. And in that, there's a problem. The, the future of the world is not really in this big data. It's in the data relationships. In the data relationships, everything is possible, but everything is breaking. The, the, the scale with which these uh, data sets are growing, therefore the scale of the data relationships is growing beyond the infrastructure's ability to handle it. Uh, we've, we've recognized this now for a while. There are companies founded in the 1980s, like Informatica and Abinitio, to try to solve this problem. There were technologies in the early 2000s uh, around RDF and OWL uh, invented to try to solve this problem. Uh, but what we found is the problem is actually isn't solved in computer science. As much as I would like to think of myself as a, a bright computer scientist, the level of the problem actually is getting solved in math. Uh, a sort of law of nature. There's a branch of mathematics uh, called category theory, categorical mathematics, we might call it, uh, that is fundamentally different than uh, what is currently powering much of the software in our infrastructure. We wouldn't have really relational databases, Oracle and, and, and all that, without relational algebra, uh, which was brought up in the early 1970s. We're now entering a new phase, category theory. And that math is gonna really wipe the slate clean over the next 10 to 20 years. Everything will change. Well, I wanna I wanna talk about some of these mathematical solutions and then also what connects this your current company does and is doing. But I wanna just backtrack for a second. It's a topic that's close to my heart, and you may or may not have any opinion on it, but I'm gonna guess that during the Obama years and, and as you look towards, you know, this Biden administration, one of the things that comes to my mind, of course, that separate and apart from the integration of data, but is the more data, the more sources that we have, the more clouds that we have containing all of this, the more server farms and the more energy is actually being utilized, true, actual, you know, energy that needs to be created to manage this. Are there mathematical solutions or is that an engineering problem that needs to be addressed? Like, is this one and the same that we can collapse in integration so that you can use less or is it is it a totally different thing? It's a good question. You know, this is a multifaceted problem, but on that particular issue, uh, this technology, this math uh, gets expressed as not requiring bits to be moved. You know, a lot of what happens in these centralized databases is the collection of bits from around the world into one big open warehouse of bits. And it's really done quite poorly. Uh, you know, we, we, we hear these terms data lakes. Sometimes there's lake houses, there's master data management is kind of a less known term and, and BI. You know, those terms uh, allow for data to be brought together and thrown in a data warehouse is another term. And it's a little bit like, throwing books into a library and then saying, oh, good, it's all done now, it's all integrated, you know, without a Dewey Decimal System or some <laughs> manner of retrieving the books, it's really quite useless. You know, what are you gonna do, sort by book color or size uh, or height? You know, that's what happens right now with data integration. And that contributes to these massive data centers needing to be developed. You know, what we did for Uber, uh, for example, is we worked with them to bring together their data around the world without creating some sort of mat ma uh, massive central repository. You know, Uber is a little bit like every government and every other company, which is 
they're not focused on having an optimal IT infrastructure. They're focused on their business. They're focused on solving what's in front of them. And in Uber's case, they grew up trying to match supply and demand city by city. Right. Those cities have different characteristics with regard to weather and obviously labor demand, uh, labor supply and customer demand. They also may have regulatory differences. Yeah. They yeah. needed to solve that problem. And right now they couldn't, they, they would ask a business question. So business intelligence, how does weather affect the number of drivers I need to incense to be on the road? They could ask that for New York City. They would have to do that separately for Philadelphia and then do a statistical comparison between the two that added to a certain amount of friction, both in time and in money. They looked around the world about how like, they could solve that problem. They found the solution would be in math. Then they happened to find who's the leader in the software expression of this math and category theory. They found us, Conexus. Uh, and Conexus worked with Uber to create a solution for them to integrate their cities so that they could compare the whole world. And to have them tell it, we save them millions of dollars a year, which at a I'm low margin sure. of business is real, real a, a bit, makes a big difference. I know, I, it's actually fascinating. It's a great example. So talk to me a little bit about like specifically what Conexus does, because I can picture that having, you know, run company, you know, marketing departments and, and strategic projects in large, you know, organizations that span globally, especially, and span categories, et cetera. And you are, you're, you're, it's almost like apples and oranges sometimes. I mean, the data doesn't integrate and then you do a comparison to X and Y, and then you figure out what like your statistical, you know, significance is of like the difference. So all of these kinds of things come up, I think for people on an everyday basis, you know? So what is Conexus's, you know, solve? You say math and you talk about category theory, but specifically what does Conexus offer? We allow data to scale and we allow data relationships to scale verifiably, provably, so that you can scale infinitely with the rate of data and data relationship growth with guaranteed semantic integrity, meaning the, the meaning of the data and the meaning of those relationships is guaranteed to be preserved. That means your bank isn't gonna go offline. That means your airplane design isn't gonna blow up. That means you'll be able to know where your personal protective equipment is on a container, on a ship, in which ocean. It means that uh, uh, us as customers are working with more efficient uh, uh, financial institutions and our data is, is properly preserved in the privacy of the, of the regulations in place. Those sort of guarantees are really only possible with the implementation of this level of math. And so it's super interesting, actually, and it's probably above my pay grade to be very candid, um, speaking with a PhD from Carnegie Mellon in computer science, because, you know, this is definitively not my jam. So I think, you know, <laughs> I'm, but I find it fascinating, especially because there's so many words out there today, you know, that are being thrown about and they are technologies of the future, right? I mean, and yeah. two that come to mind when you're talking about like knowing where your PPE is in a container on a specific ship. And especially when we just had, you know, Hurricane Ida, for instance, or we're having the crisis in Afghanistan or where Haiti, where, where supplies need to get, you know, in a humanitarian yeah. crisis kind of way, you know, you think about how that can be leveraged. And one of the things that comes to mind is blockchain, right? Blockchain is like knowing where things go. 
but it's a hot topic conversation as is AI, artificial intelligence. This technology that you are building at Connexus, does it work with blockchain? Does it work with AI or are these completely separate ideas? They're completely complementary. Uh, so, so blockchain complementary. This, this technology would be applied in blockchain to create smart contracts. So Ethereum is currently the leading su supplier provider of a smart contract using blockchain, but that's a broken system really will never work. But if somebody wanted to create a new smart contract system, they would use category theory. They could use our system or, or others being developed uh, and apply that to the development of an Ethereum competitor. So that's blockchain. In AI, what's helpful to remember is that most of what gets in the press is in the, uh, uh, probabilistic AI. So it's in specifically in neural nets, which is a, sub, it's just a, a, a type of machine learning, which is a subset of AI. We have that and we use that as appropriate, but most of what our category theory is doing is using symbolic AI, good old fashioned AI. And so that's deterministic. Uh, de the benefit of deterministic AI is the end result is proven. There's no probability in it. Uh, and this is really appropriate if you are diagnosing cancer or flying a commercial jet aircraft. Uh, you want things to be have you know zero tolerance of failure. If you're doing digital advertising and you, you the probabilities are okay, a lot of nice uh, problems can be solved over in that other domain of probabilistic AI. I am of the opinion, and there are different opinions, uh, that there is beauty in the combination of these two types of artificial intelligences, depending on. Uh, the particular use. Uh, Andrew Ung is, is a popular uh, uh, AI personality that agrees on my side. Some of the people like Jeffrey Hinton that are uh, uh, pioneers in neural nets think that that's the future by itself and, and alone. But those are, those are different types of AI. That's kind of down the rabbit hole. But the AI- It's super interesting a, though, because I've never yeah. heard either of these terms before, right? And, and I've worked with companies who do AI. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. super excited about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th those are beautiful technologies and they have their place. Uh, the, the, the application for your listeners really is to understand where we as humans want to stop these algorithms from operating and have a human intervene. You know, the danger of these AI technologies is manifold. One that's often in the popular press is about bias. All data is biased and solving that problem uh, is, is going to be really an ongoing uh, evergreen challenge. It's our job to look at where that is going to be put into practice, this biased data and these algorithms to say, hey, where, where do we stop that? Where do we have a circuit breaker? Where do we have a human audit to, to oversee these otherwise uh, seemingly magical technologies that can save lives and uh, increase our, uh, our, our life? It, so really this should be called the future of data integration and human intervention. <laughs> there, you know, there's uh, having spent time in the in the federal government, I uh, I definitely have developed some opinions around po public policy uh, implementations uh, for the AI technologies.
I can, I can absolutely imagine that. And, and so think, I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. I mean, I want to think about the feds. We have this huge infrastructure bill that, you know, in varying forms is passing and going and, you know, we're moving things forward a little by little. Right. So my question for you, having sat in the, the, the Obama administration for a time working on robotics and AI kind of things, you know, we are falling behind. I mean, it's certainly by comparison to countries like China, but to many, many countries in the world. Um, what is your hope for, you know, the future of, let's just call it data integration, but really about all of these other technological tools that we're thinking about in America and, and for the world at large? Yeah, I, I actually am more optimistic about America's future in digital technology, information technology. Uh, really, it's in, it's in my view that the one area that China is ahead of the U.S., maybe ahead of the West, is actually in chemistry. Uh, in chemistry, uh, the, the Chinese seem to be ahead of us in, in, in pure research. You know, they, uh, the, the, the Chinese have certain advantages uh, around data privacy most, most popularly, uh, but the U.S. is in a great position and, and the West is in a great position. My concern, you know, my, 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 uh, really my hobby, I guess, is, is making sure that people are involved in the conversation. The best thing that the U.S. could do to maintain competitiveness, aside from funding research, aside from uh, bringing semiconductor manufacturing capacity onshore, the best thing the U.S. could do is make sure that the technology created is embraced, not resisted. Mm -hmm. And that makes sure that we have everybody on the field. Uh, everybody on the field, everybody needs to be involved in this conversation. You know, not just arbitrarily, you don't want to accept this thing, these things uh, blindly, but everybody needs to involve, be involved in where the strengths and weaknesses of these implementations are. These are automation systems. So you, it, it's helpful for your listeners to be thinking, well, what do I want to be automated? And what, when do I want that to stop? Right. You know, the danger is the linking automation uh, with probabilities so that you can magnify errors at the end. Uh, and, and some people are gonna feel uh, ripped off, I guess we can say at the end. That's for all of us to get involved. You don't need to be, you don't need to have a computer science PhD to have that conversation. No, it's a more, in some ways, it's a moralistic question, frankly, and, and a common yeah. sense question. Um, exactly. Right. And, and I think we look at, you know, I look at privacy. You mentioned, you know, China has some different uh, leeway uh, than we do. But I mean, the Europeans are, are much tighter than we are. You know, we live in a global world. And, and if we anyone wants to argue otherwise, I think data is the number one place where it's so obvious we live in a global world. You know, data, to your point about, you know, warehouses of bits, you know, the, these, the bits travel around the world. They, they don't have frontiers. They don't have national boundaries. They don't need to give a passport, but they are regulated differently. So when we start thinking about category theory in this, like does, does your data integration future exist across borders kind of in a seamless way or what does that look like? Yeah, it, it, so one of the applications of Uber was, was exactly what I said, was trying to make better business decisions around such pedestrian things as supply and demand. Uh, no pun intended, but there is another use, which is regulatory sensitivity. So in one jurisdiction, a, license, a driver's license number may be considered to be the most private of personal identified information. In another state or another country, the license plate 
may be considered to be the most sensitive piece of personal protective information. So those, those particular uh, uh, sensitivities on a privacy lattice uh, need to be respected across countries. I was talking to a, a senior official in the Gulf region, and he was exploring uh, how the data is taken from its citizens, exported to a Google farm, a Go you know, data, data farm, and then, then imported back into the country with ads as, as, as a, some sort of value that's being extracted from the country and then resold back to the country to its own own citizens, that sort of sensitivity around data and data flows is, is the future. We're all going to be, need to be prepared to have those conversations globally. Okay, so I mean, we're we're just about at time, Eric. So I want to I want to ask like the the classic, you know, uh, sci-fi of the future question when it comes to data and AI and all these things. Um, I know you've kind of answered, you're pretty bullish on America, but like in general, like utopia, dystopia, like, and what, what, what's, what's the threshold? I mean, besides that human intervention. Yeah, uh, dystopia, utopia, uh, neither and both. Uh, it, I, the, the whole idea of, of AI becoming, um, uh, uh, becoming sentient, uh, I think is a distraction. Uh, 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 Nick Bostrom in, at Oxford, smart, uh, smart man, smart researcher, a good book that he's written about it, and it, it is as much of an existential threat as he says. Uh, but I, I, I'd say the, the majority of AI researchers will bet that uh, that sort of sentience will never occur, uh, and certainly unlikely in our lifetime. I can get into that uh, about why I believe that, but it really misses the point for many of the people discussing it because AI doesn't need to become sentient to become very, very dangerous. You know, we, we see this in, in, in just everyday living around the distortion and manipulation of our behaviors. Uh, you know, it, it, it's analogous to, but much, much worse than you know, the lack of control that I have over uh, having potato chips, you know, because there are companies that understand my physiology more than I do. And uh, so I, I can't have a potato chip. I can't have just one M&M. Uh, that, that knowledge is owned by these companies. And that, that problem, the, the ability of other entities to manipulate my behavior and me thinking that I have free will around that, that is very dangerous. And that has nothing to do with sentience. Right. That's so interesting and quite dystopian. And, and as a marketer uh, who spent a good amount of time in the consumer packaged goods uh, arena, I certainly know what you're talking about with those potato chips and M&Ms. So <laughs> data helps, but it's not everything. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Eric, thank you so, so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. It's been a pretty uh, robust, to put it mildly, conversation in 20 minutes, um, uh, but it's really a pleasure to talk about the future of data integration with you. It was a good time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners, if you're not already subscribed, make sure that you do. Uh, you can find Future of XYZ on YouTube uh, and on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, follow us on Future of XYZ on Instagram. We look forward to seeing you the next time. Uh, and uh, it will be next Thursday. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. 
visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.